0: I'm doing something a little bit um, different and unusual for this video, I'm giving it uh, a solo introduction. The main reason why I'm doing that is because I had a really great conversation with uh, Rivers of Eden um, about the prologue of John, but it was Three and a half hours or something like that long. So I'm going to do something a little unusual, I'm going to make sort of a an abbreviated introductory version of the conversation available first that hopefully will be somewhat under an hour and then for those who are still interested perhaps maybe a week from now or so I will put out the full version, the full three and a half hour version for people who want to follow up and have more um, details and content related to the conversation that I had. Um, I should also say um, Rivers, uh, for very legitimate reasons, has privacy concerns. So he doesn't use his real name and doesn't put his face on camera. And I'm perfectly happy respecting that. So in case you're wondering why there's no video of him, that was a a choice that that we made to help preserve his uh, privacy. So I hope you really enjoyed this conversation and um, there will be even more content from me and Rivers uh, coming out sometime soon. Thank you very much. Hello everybody, Uh, I am here today with Rivers. Uh, Rivers, uh, some of you will know if you hang out on on certain Facebook groups um, that, that he's a sort of a fixture there. Um, I am excited to get to talk to him today. Uh, I'm really, I, I really like Rivers' perspectives sometimes because they often seem very sort of unique and clarifying and penetrating in a way that kind of helps me rethink some things. I, I've, I, I've reconsidered the ways that I understand a lot of verses based off of my interactions with Rivers. Um, and uh, so Rivers, if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself a little bit.
1: Hi, Sam. Uh, thanks. I appreciate your inviting me uh, to this discussion. And uh, of course, we're going to talk about the uh, prologue, the first 18 verses of the fourth gospel. And I just wanted to say for those who might not be familiar with uh, my interactions on the uh, social media pages where we discuss uh, biblical exegesis and and uh, focus a lot on the fourth gospel and the prologue. Um, I'm just a regular guy who's been uh studying scripture for as long as i can remember Um, my parents were catholic and i grew up in the catholic church but when i became a teenager um, i started to question a lot of things that i was learning and not so much in terms of doubting things but just wanting answers to questions that i was starting to have in my mind about you know what my purpose in life was and uh you know, what was the spiritual aspect of, of life that I needed to understand? And I just quickly got into doing a lot of reading. Of course, there was no internet or social media at that time. So I collected as many books on different theological topics as I could. You know, I enjoyed reading the four views of this and the five views of that and just kind of getting different perspectives on things. I think I started out when I was younger uh, with kind of a skeptical mind in, in the sense that I didn't just want to hear one side of it. You know, I I went, I remember the first Protestant church that I went to was a Baptist church in my town. And then I knew other friends who went to an Assembly of God church. And I think there was another uh, set of friends I had that invited me to a Lutheran church. And so I started to wonder, you know, why there were these different churches. And I had only known uh, Catholicism when I grew up. So then as I proceeded through the years and went to school and and uh, got married, had a family, settled down, started working uh, my career path. I just always had a desire to keep reading things and studying things and just trying to figure out, you know, as I was learning more and more, um, I was also seeing how many differences there are in uh, uh Theology and how many different doctrines from, you know, eschatology to Christology to ecclesiology, pneumatology, all these different categories of theology, there were just, you know, five or six different views of almost everything. And I'm the type of person that just wants to critically evaluate things and try to better understand and try to find an answer for myself. And so that's what's brought me to this point. One of the areas of study that I really enjoy uh, and have pursued quite a bit over the last 10 or 15 years has been uh, Christology. Mm-hmm. And of course, the fourth gospel and the prologue that we're going to talk about, Um I mean, honestly, I get two or three emails every week with new papers that are written on this topic from different perspectives. So I think it's just one of the most fascinating and challenging puzzles of, of um, that's uh, kind of like a cold case sometimes where it's just been discussed over and over and over again. And there's been 20 different perspectives on it, but we still look at it every day and are trying to figure out you know, what this simple language in the prologue meant to the original readers. And so that's what I'm trying to figure out. And um, as far as my approach is concerned, um, one thing that I've been working on for the last five or six years is kind of isolating the language in the fourth gospel and kind of taking a fresh look at the evidence. I, I mentioned earlier a cold case. I kind of look at this as kind of a cold case. and. I want to be someone who just takes a fresh set of eyes and looks at the evidence, tries to sort it out and just see if I can put the story together with the pieces that we have maybe in a different way than what most have looked at it. From before, because sometimes I wonder when we can't figure things out like the prologue and some of the difficult sayings in the fourth gospel, I have just wondered to myself over the years, if it's maybe just because we're all looking at it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to take a fresh look at the evidence and as I'm interacting with people, pick up bits and pieces of insight that they have and just trying to think of a way to put the pieces together that might make the most sense. And, of course, whenever we read scripture, we're always only reading one side of the discussion. So it's difficult because we can't go back to the original readers or the original audience or the original author and just get clarification on what they're thinking. Um, And so if I can use that analogy of a crime scene again, you know, my approach to the fourth gospel is thinking that, number one, the, the author is anonymous and sometimes we just have to admit that we don't have the answer. We don't know who wrote the book. He doesn't identify himself. He gives us a little bit of information. Uh, we know from what he's written in the book that he was a close follower of Jesus. He, he was with the apostles and during the most important times at the end of the book, in the days leading up to the uh, suffering and resurrection of jesus we also know that he was there at the last supper and that he heard things even from jesus that the other apostles didn't know or Mm -hmm. the apostles didn't know one other thing is that we don't know who the audience for the book was and so i think we have to be careful to admit that we just don't know and many things have been written about you know, what could be the background of the book, but nothing can be explicitly corroborated. The author doesn't mention any rabbis. He doesn't mention Targums. He doesn't mention Philo. He doesn't uh, uh, give us any indication of uh, who he was writing to. There's no salutation in the book. Right, right.
0: And, and this, is what I, this is what I really appreciate about your perspective is that, so, you know, I, I grew up in a biblical Unitarian church. I'm, I'm a little bit unusual in this corner of the internet that way. And so I, I grew up sort of with the standard kind of Anthony Buzzard style in, uh, interpretation that in the beginning means, you know, it's the Genesis beginning and that the word is some sort of impersonal attribute or power of God, right? And then it's sort of this poetic personification of this attribute or power that then sort of somehow gets identified, perhaps not directly one-to-one with Jesus, kind of poetically cascading through the prologue. That was sort of the way that I I grew up being taught to understand it. And um, for most Trinitarians, when they hear me explain it that way, they're like, what? And so when I heard you kind of first poking around on on the, the Facebook groups explaining the way you thought, I was like, what? <laughs> and and so so i think i think that you're absolutely right that the fact that this seems like a tough nut to crack suggests that perhaps we've been trying all trying to crack it from the wrong angle or something like that and what happens, you know, we can do the thing where we try and super hone in on the context, like John, you know, was a Jew who was the beloved disciple who, you know, later moved to Ephesus and he had Gnostics around him and he somehow knew about Philo of Alexandria mm-hmm. and all the inner testamental wisdom literature and like, you know, heap all of this stuff onto it. But I think you're right that there actually is very little evidence for any of those sorts of things. And what if we just kind of Ignore... A lot of that to the extent that it's possible and just say, well, what if we just let the gospel speaks for itself and come to it with as few preconceptions as we can possibly can, like a clean room for a, examining a crime case, like you said. And and I think that that's very helpful. And so so tonight we're going to do kind of a thing where we will do a quick run through sort of, of, of how Rivers understands it. And then we'll kind of Circle back and do a, a detailed kind of verse by verse, or w- or phrase for phrase, even word for word sort of thing to kind of look at these things and, and give some support to it. So, um, so I guess, I guess without further ado, kind of how how do you understand sort of the purpose of the prologue, and then we'll kind of start start going in and, and reading it through kind of quickly the first time.
1: Okay. One other thing I just wanted to add to what I said earlier is we also don't know the date of the book. Mm, mm -hmm. And as you were alluding to, there's a lot of different theories on who may have been hiding in the background of the book, you know, what particular group of, of later Christians might have benefited from hearing the message, or, you know, was there Serenthus or someone else who was uh, aware of the writer of the fourth gospel and who he was writing to, and if you know this was a polemic against this particular person. The problem is, is like you said, we had, we really don't have any corroboration for any of that. And what I mean by that is we don't have any explicit material in the fourth gospel that we can connect uh, to a lot of the outside material that scholars use to try to frame it, and. I just think we need to admit that we don't know who wrote it, okay? We don't know who it was written to. And we also don't know when it was written other than that it was written sometime after the events that took place between the baptism of John and uh, when Jesus was with his disciples after the resurrection. That's the extent of the historical material in the book. So it very well could have been written in the late 30s or it could have been written 20 or 30 or 40 years later. We really don't know and so what i'm trying to do is i'm looking at understanding the book and the prologue is not to make assumptions that about things that i just don't know that become vital to my conclusions because once you want for example if we date the book late which is arbitrary and then we start to connect it with all kinds of Gnostic sources that are later and scholars have a tendency to keep dating the book, the fourth gospel later and later because they're, they're trying to get it closer to Gnosticism in the second century. You know, we may be going down a rabbit trail of, of complete misinformation because we don't even know the date. That's an assumption that they're making about a late date for the book that isn't derived from the material in the book itself. It's just based on tradition. So when I approach it, I'm trying to set aside as many assumptions as I can and kind of isolate the material in the book. And, and like you said, let it. I'm, I'm trying to approach it by letting the anonymous author speak on his own terms and define his own terms. And one of the nice things about the fourth gospel is that the lang- the language used in the book, the vocabulary is very simple and mm-hmm. it's very repetitive. So mm-hmm. when we encounter a word like word logos in the first verse, you know, we have 40 other uses of it in the book where we have a a, a good sampling of evidence for how the writer understood the word. And mm. No pun intended. Literally, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I think it, the approach that I'm taking now is is different, is that I'm uh, kind of roping off the crime scene and thinking to myself, you know what, the reason they put that yellow tape around the crime scene is because number one, they don't want it contaminated with evidence from outside that doesn't really have anything to do with the time of the crime. And the other reason is, is because 95% of the evidence that's gonna solve the crime is going to be located or found at the crime scene, the forensic evidence. So what I'm going to do is try to make, take a forensic approach. One thing I wanted to say is, you know, you and I discussed a little bit before we started, Sam, that we need to really do a high level overview because we only have an hour or so. So I want people to understand that a lot of what I'm going to point out here is probably going to be different than what you're used to hearing, but I don't have time to interact with Uh, Scholars, I don't have time to interact with uh, different perspectives, okay, Mm -hmm. because to get the the basic um, explanation of the program uh, prologue out from the perspective that I'm coming from is probably going to take most of our time and Sam you're going to interject some questions, of course, for clarification, but I'll try to go through first, like you said right now and just kind of give an idea of how I'm looking at each section. And then we can kind of go verse by verse and I'll try to provide, um, you know, the intertextual evidence or the evidence from the use of language, primarily from the book itself and some in in the, uh, the anonymous John letters because they seem to be using uh, a lot of similar terminology, so I'll refer to that a little bit too. But anyway, let's uh, go ahead. Did you have something to say? Well,
0: yeah, I, I just wanted to say that sounds good. And I think our main goal tonight is just for, for me to help flush out what you what you think. Yeah, you don't need to feel too much need to defend yourself from other perspectives. I think I mainly just want to fully understand where you're coming from and, and some of the reasons why, why you think that.
1: And I hope what we'll get from this is you're probably the first one that's attempted to have a discussion about this and record it in terms of trying to cover the whole prologue from this perspective. So I hope that this will get some information out there and other people will think about it and, of course, critically evaluate it. And uh, I only want to get to the bottom of, of this and to understand the truth. So nothing I'm saying is intended to be dogmatic Uh, Nothing I'm saying is, is, is a completed effort. I'm learning things and changing my mind here and there about the details every day because I'm out on social media trying to interact with people who are coming from all different perspectives. So um, what I'm going to present here is just where my thinking is at right now. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll, you know, cause others maybe to think about things in a little bit different light. And, you know, at some point we can get together and, and uh, all have a better understanding of, 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 you know, the word of God that we love to love to think about. All right. Sounds, so John one one. Yeah,
0: that's 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 my that's the whole goal of this channel is exactly what you just said. So I, I guess without without any further introduction, uh, let's start in the beginning. Uh, the very good place to start.
1: Okay. So let me do a quick overview. Uh, John one one. In the beginning was the word. Um, what I'm gonna suggest is that the beginning is not uh, anything prior to the. Uh, public ministry of Jesus. I take the beginning here to refer to the um, the writer is looking back on this entire period of time from the baptism of John uh, to when the disciples were with him after the resurrection, and to him that's the beginning in the sense that that's when it all began as far as the disciples were concerned. And then I'm taking the word logos to refer to a person, albeit I'm Going to show why I think that the Word is a name for the human being Jesus Christ that the disciples came to know during his public ministry and, of course, uh, had the experience of seeing alive after the resurrection. Um, The Word was with God. I'm going to demonstrate that that's a reference to where uh, Jesus uh, was going to ascend to the Father after his resurrection. And then the Word was God. I'm basically taking the Approach that that's uh, um, that means that the one called the Word, Jesus Christ, the human Jesus, is in some sense equal with God the Father. And then in verse two, he was in the beginning with God. uh, That reiterates um, what was said about the Word in verse one. So the He is referring to the one called the Word and then being in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. My understanding is that all things is referring to what Jesus did and disclosed when he was with his disciples during his public ministry. In other words, the writer is looking back and saying, everything we know about uh, this apostolic mission of ours originated with this one Jesus Christ who told us... uh, and, and explain to us the Father.
0: So all things is basically the, the events of Jesus' lifetime and their consequences that have happened afterwards or something like that.
1: Yeah, all no, all things I would say refers to what Jesus disclosed about the Father and mm-hmm. the works that he did that demonstrated um, that the Father was with him. In other words, the things that the disciples came to understand because of what he as the word of God, the one speaking the Logos, uh, revealed to them. Mm-hmm. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I think that's referring to eternal life being in Jesus Christ, which the disciples, of course, didn't understand until after the resurrection. The light shines in the darkness, the present tense there. I would suggest that this means that you know what the disciples learned about God and about the difference between light and darkness from Jesus, of course, still continued to enlighten men even after um, uh, he had been taken up to heaven. And then verse 6, uh, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the baptizer. Uh, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Um, I think that's referring to John the baptizer being a witness to testify about the light, which is another um Metaphor used for uh, Jesus Christ, the human Jesus there. So all might believe through him. And I think that that's referring to uh, uh, John being sent so that the uh, people would believe in Jesus through him. John was not the light, verse 8, but he came to testify about the light. So again, it's drawing a contrast between John the baptizer and the one called the light that he was sent to testify about. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. That's a reference to Jesus Christ being the true light. And the true there is for emphasis because, um, uh, like Jesus said, there was a certain w- way in which they saw John the Baptizer as light. But Jesus was the true light, meaning the the ultimate light or the the um, more significant one. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Um and the world did not know him, the approach I would take there is that he was in the world means that Jesus was in the world. The one called the light, the one called the word. I don't think that uh, these clauses, I I don't think that we should reverse the two clauses. So um, what is meant by in the world was made through him. I would take to be referring to while he was in the world. So, I take those clauses in order. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay, so I would take all those to be referring to the same period of time. And then he came to his own and his own, who, those who were his own did not receive him. His own would be referring to um, the covenant people, Israel. And uh, uh, as we know from the fourth gospel, many of his fellow Israelites didn't believe in him. But there were some who received him, verse 12, and to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And of course, his name is Jesus Christ, even though it isn't mentioned, it's assumed that um, the reader understands that. And there were some who received him, and the ones who received him, he had authority to uh, uh, designate as the true children of God. And then who were born, not of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but but, uh, born of God. And I'll explain what those three clauses mean. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, I'm going to suggest that the Word became flesh is a is a resurrection text, and is referring to when the disciples realized that what they had been hearing about the Word, uh, about uh, eternal life, um, was manifested to them when jesus appeared alive to them after the resurrection and then he dwelt with them for a short time afterwards and i think that's why it has the us and the we there it's referring to these disciples the apostles that were with him after the resurrection glory is of the only begotten from the father i would suggest that uh, only begotten or "monogenes" is a term that refers to an only child but in the sense that that child is the beloved of the father and as the beloved of the father, that child becomes the one designated as the heir. So everything that belongs to the father, or in this case, the kingdom of God, would belong to the one who is monogonase or the, the one that he chooses to be the heir. And then uh, verse 15, John, Ches- John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a ra- higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Uh, what I would suggest there is that John is testifying about Jesus Christ, who was a man that was coming after him. And of course, that man was the son of God and thus had a higher rank. And then where it says, for he existed before me, I would just uh, suggest, and I'll show why, that I think that all John was saying there was that he was the forerunner. In other words, um, It wasn't that Jesus existed before him or or was born before him, but I would take that in the sense that Jesus was already there in the midst of the people when John was recognized first as a prophet. And of course, when it wasn't until Jesus came afterwards and John identified uh, Jesus Christ as the Messiah began to, to increase and John began to decrease. For his fullness, we have all received uh, grace upon grace. I think fullness there, again, goes back to what I said earlier about all things. I think of his fullness just means that, you know, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he showed them the Father. He showed them the works of the Father. He disclosed uh, the things that the Father wanted them to understand. And so in, in that sense, they re- they received all things from him the, the fullness of what god wanted to reveal to them uh through the through the son of god that they knew personally for of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace verse 17 for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ and of course that's you know we understand that um the law came before uh jesus christ it was uh the covenant at the time that Jesus was in the world and in the midst of the people. And then, of course, he disclosed new things that the Father had sent him to tell the people. And um, those things were realized through Jesus Christ. Again, they were the th- all things that came through him and the fullness that the disciples received. And then verse uh, 18, no one has seen God the Father at any time, the only begotten God. There's uh, monogonase again. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is in the bosom of the father he has explained him so in verse 18 i see that there is the confirmation that you know no one has actually seen god at any time and paul said later in first timothy six that god is invisible and impossible for anyone to see the only begotten again the monogenes or the beloved the, the 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 father's designated heir who is in the bosom of the father so now in the bosom of the father puts him in the location of the father as I suggested in, in John one one, he's uh, he's with the Father in heaven. He was the one who explained him. In other words, the Son was the one who explained the Father. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I would, you know, summarize roughly how I would approach all of these verses. So I think the main thing to see is that there's a I see much more of an emphasis on what the disciples understood about the whole story after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. I think that's a significant yeah. thing in terms of where I am coming at it from a different perspective. In John 1:1 1, 1, I see the resurrection in John 1:14 and I see it in John
0: 1:18. Right. So so the way so the way that this is similar and different than the way most sort of trend, standard trinitarian um, interpretations would be is that while, uh, while the word is just one-to-one identified with Jesus or sort of perhaps like some sort of, uh, I don't know, nickname or, or symbolic uh, name of Jesus, that um, the beginning is not way back in like the, the beginning of all time, but basically all of the events of the prologue and everything the prologue talks about is talking about the events of Jesus' human life. And, and what's different than sort of the kind of um, standard biblical Unitarian, or I don't know how standard it is, but at least it's the one I grew up with, where we agreed with the Trinitarians that the beginning was the beginning kind of, of creation, but we just didn't connect the word with Jesus in a sort of one-to-one sense um, and, and so you're, you're taking something different than, than both of those that the word, yes, it, it really just is referring to Jesus, but but it's it's the events of, of the human life of Jesus. And the reason why that might make sense, as weird as that might sound to people who have never heard it before, is, well, what's the gospel of John about? It's about the it's about the events of Jesus's adult ministry. And so wouldn't we expect the prologue to sort of be kind of summarizing that in an introductory manner or something like that?
1: Right. And we have no indication that the um, apostles or disciples in the book knew anything about the identity. Even John the Baptist didn't know the identity of Jesus, and they were relatives. He didn't mm-hmm. understand that he was the Messiah. You know, John testifies in John uh, 1, uh, 29 through 34, that uh, God had told him that, you know, when you see the person who uh, upon whom the Holy Spirit descends and remains— uh, you will know that that one is the son of god and that's when he began to manifest the identity of jesus it says in john 131 to israel and realize that that was his purpose even though they were relatives mm. you know there's no indication that he understood who that was or recognized that he was the messiah but we'll get into that a little bit further